And I'm so grateful to Phil because we only knew on Thursday that Billy's mum had passed and Phil was, as a lovely, generous man, agreed to step in immediately to ensure that we had God's word this morning preached in this place. So huge thanks to, to Phil for that. And Phil has asked me to read from Isaiah chapter 9 before he speaks, just a little bit of context. So this is a book um, that was written seven centuries before the human birth of Jesus. And in chapter 8, we read about the prophet telling us that God was going to hide his face from his people for a time. And Isaiah said his response was to wait on the Lord But he said there will be others who will be enraged, who will be in distress, who will consult mediums, who will shake their fist at God and just be in distress and in darkness. And then we read this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And down to verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen, Phil. Well, it's a joy to be with you again, even though I'm sad about the circumstances of my return. But thank you very much for your warm welcome. Can we just pray a moment? Dear Lord, we so need your help when we look at your word. We need you to help us all here, me as I seek to explain it. We as we listen, that it will touch our hearts. But how much more when, Lord, the word is about you. How can we stand to speak about you unless you grant your spirit to help Lord, will you please give me clear thoughts and words. Give our hearts sensitivity to what you would say to us. Touch our lives 
that our lives might be different because of your word. So, Lord, come. Reveal yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. For many, many husbands at Christmas, they have just one present to get. (laughs) Over the years, they have often got that one present wrong. (laughs) For me, it was... I haven't got this in my notes, but... I once bought my wife a pasta maker. It was an expensive piece of kit for the kitchen, which went back to John Lewis the next day, (laughs) and she changed it for a couple of things, a perfume. That's my outstanding failure. My outstanding success was, it was a a jeweler's box wrapped up but there was nothing inside except a little note that I had written which said let's go shopping (laughs) Ah. her face lit up with a promise of the future Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. May our faces and our hearts light up at the promise of the future. Centuries before Jesus was born, it said that a virgin will be with child, call his name Emmanuel. And I don't know, that's why I had chapter 9 and verse 1 said, it said that he would be in the Galilee to the other side of the Jordan. It even said where Jesus would fulfill his ministry. That's what Matthew 4 tells us. And then here we have it. His name in eight words. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now in the Bible, the name is what the person is. If I mention the name, is this a bit strong? If I mention the name Billy Fenning, someone says, oh, I know Billy. Isn't he that tall, Scot, (laughs) tall man with a Scottish accent? (laughs) No, you might, no, got the name wrong. See, in the Bible, the name is what the person is is to us a child is born a son is given and the government will be on his shoulder who is he well we've often faced with the one who is love this morning we're being faced with the one who is lord four titles i'm only going to speak on one wonderful counselor He's wonderfully wise. Mighty God, he is almighty powerful. Everlasting Father, eternally caring. And the Prince of Peace, 
He guarantees wholeness. But the one that I want us to consider this morning is Mighty God. And under three particular headings, the person of the one who is Mighty God, His power, and then thirdly, His purpose. The person of the one, who is He? Who is this one on whose shoulders the government rests? A child is born, that speaks of his humanity. But a son is given, that speaks of his divinity, that Christ is God. Now, many people today are happy to speak about Jesus as a wonderful human teacher, but they struggle when they say, but he's mighty God. And in the early years of the Christian church, they faced two errors on this, two opposite ones. There was one called deceitism, from the Greek word to seem, and they said that Jesus only seemed like a human being. He wasn't really a a, a, a true human being. Some would say that this was the background to the first letter of John. So he, he, he only looked like a human being. And then the other one, called firstly adoptionism and later became Arianism, said he wasn't really God, or he became God at his baptism. And we still have those who believe that today, the Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and a number of other groups. The first Christian writers, some who knew Jesus, believed him to be God in human form. And their writings bear this out. Um, Implicitly, that Jesus in his earthly life did things that only God could do. He forgave sins. He made huge claims about himself that to know him was to know God. He encouraged people to pray in his name. And he received and accepted worship. Only God. But some of the writers in the New Testament explicitly said that he was God. Quite a number in John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. On one occasion, his opponents tried to kill him because he said that God was his own father making him equal with God. On another occasion, John refers to Moses in the Old Testament when he met God at the burning bush and he wanted to know, well, what is your name? And God said, I am. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. They recognize it. They try to kill him. Another occasion, um, John speaks about the time when uh, Isaiah went into the temple in chapter 6. And he saw the Lord. And John says, he saw Jesus. And so we could go on. And then finally, towards the end of the book, Thomas, for the first time, sees Jesus alive And he says, my Lord and my God. And you could go through the New Testament and pick out other verses too. Paul to the 
Colossians says, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. And we could go on. If you want a summary of the chapters in the New Testament which emphasize the, the divinity of Christ, they're all ones. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and Revelation 1. They all stand out. So this is the one that we look at. Who is the person of this mighty God? He is God indeed. And it was the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD which formulated the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is God. So that's the person. But secondly, the power of this mighty God. Jesus in his earthly life did things that only God could do. He forgave sins. He cast out powerful and unclean spirits. He made huge claims about himself. In Isaiah 35, it said that God's coming would result in the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, and the dumb speaking. And then in Jesus, you've got someone walking the earth doing those same things. And more. He came along to Jairus' daughter who was dead. And he says to her something that many mothers have said over the centuries. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And she came alive. He said to a man with a withered hand, the most ridiculous thing, stretch out your hand. You see, as an aside, when God speaks a word, it creates he could no more stretch out his hand than anyone. But the creative word of Jesus. And so he said, Lazarus, come forth. You see, the word of the Lord creates life. And the man stretched out his hand. He touched the man and the blind saw. He heard a leper who said to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. I... I will be clean. And this man had recreated skin. So here's the power of the mighty God as Jesus walked the world. But some might say, well, where is this mighty God now? There are simply many, many dozens of wars going on in the world at the moment. Ukraine Gaza, Israel, but there are many others from the Far East all the way through to South America. And we would say, well, where is this mighty God now? Why isn't he doing something now? I ask the same question. And the psalmist asked the same question. In Psalm 74, he, this is what he said. Why do you hold back your hand, your right, i.e. powerful hand. Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. So there it is. God is saying, uh, the psalmist is saying, God, why are you inactive? Why don't you do something? Psalm 74 verse 11. Psalm 74 verse 12 says, but God is my king. It's possible to wonder why this mighty God isn't sorting out the world 
and at the same time to say, but God is king. And to hold both together. You come to the book of Revelation, and the believers were under extreme pressure. And they asked the question of God, which is found throughout the Bible, how long? Many of the Psalms will say that. How long? Chapter 6. But by the time you get to the end of the book, you see that God will have the last word. The security of God's people is based on the fact that they belong to Him. And I'm sure that's why we are um, hardwired in our minds that we like books to have a good ending. We like a story. The most disappointing thing, you watch a film on the television and it has a bad ending. You think it's a waste of time. You read the book of Revelation. Things are tough, but it has a good ending. The Lord God Almighty reigns. The power of the mighty God. And it takes the power of a mighty God to fulfill what he promises. That we can cast all our cares on him, for he cares for us. That he has promised to keep us day by day, to change us, to help us. That he would never leave nor forsake us. Only a mighty God can fulfill that promise. That he is there to keep us from falling. Only a mighty God can fulfill that. That he prevents anyone plucking us out of his hand. So that he can say, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, as death couldn't hold him one day for the Christian, death won't hold us. Because it takes the power of a mighty God to fulfill what he has promised over our lives in his word. Grateful for that. Well, what is the purpose of this mighty God? It says there that nothing less than the government of the world is on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. Now, we are to work for the world to be a better place. And Christians throughout the world are doing that in your own town, or is it now a city? The people who are collecting food to help the homeless. And there are loads of charities started by Christians who are helping people. And we are to make the world a better place. And we are to pray too for our governments and for the governments that they would have the responsibility and have the wisdom to manage the world as God wants it to be. However, only God, only this mighty God can make the world what he purposed it to be. And so it says that one day we will inhabit new heavens and a new earth. My understanding of that is it'll be the new heavens, the presence of God. And where will that be? On a new earth. Aren't you glad 
that for our eternity, it won't be that we'll be learning new choruses for eternity. Um, the Bible says that this world, uh, let me start. When we become Christians, God redeems us to belong to him. He, he starts to make us new. And it says that he is going to make a new this world, but redeem it, make it completely new. And that's where we're going to be based. You see, like, if I can use this as an example, um, a, a man becomes a Christian and his wife says, I've got a new husband. Now, you know what she means. That compared to the old, this guy is completely new and better and different. And that's what God is going to do. That where we will be based won't be somewhere behind the clouds plucking on a harp. We'll be here on this redeemed earth fulfilling God's purposes. It's not going to be boring either. Before the fall in, in Genesis, Adam had stuff to do. He used his mind. He named the animals. He enjoyed the presence of God. Imagine being in a world where there's uh, no crying, no sorrow, no pain, no sadness, where there will be peace and joy and love. If you can pick out the moments when you have known that and you multiply that a million times, and it says that we will enjoy and you can pick out times when you've known the presence of God. I can remember walking across a field when I particularly sensed the presence of God there for a moment. To enjoy that forever, it takes a mighty God and the purposes of this mighty God to have a new heaven and a new earth. People by people who belong to him, governed by him, enjoying his presence. A mighty God fulfilling his purpose. Now, how does this come about? How did it come about? Through the cross, this mighty God dealt with sin. He bore it in his own body on the tree. He also dealt with Satan. He disarmed principalities and powers, triumphing over them through the cross. He dealt with death by rising again. And he calls on a people to trust him. To love him, to belong to him, to live for him, to bow to his government in their lives now with a fuller revelation and experience of that government to come. And this mighty God, Jesus Christ, fulfills this purpose. After rising again, he said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. He sits on a throne and he says, I make everything new. Paul says he must reign until all the enemies are under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. As death couldn't hold him, those who belong to him, it won't hold us either. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I am looking forward to that day now. So there it is. You've got the person, the mighty God. You've got his power and you've got his purpose to fulfill the government as God intended in a greater measure on a new heaven and new earth. That's the teaching. What's the application 
there was a time in history when a child was born and a son was given. What does that mean for us this morning? Well, one of the carols that you, be, you may be singing is, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The government is on the shoulders of this mighty God. All our human rulers and governments, be they good, incompetent, or evil, will one day be no more. They will be dead and powerless. But there's one who lives, who is wonderfully wise and almighty powerful. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. May God fill our hearts at Christmas at this prospect. But however, not everyone would have joy. It says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And the truth is that lots of people on the earth don't receive him as king and don't bow to him. Sad to say, you are praying for people that they might bow to the Lord as king. Let me just throw this in. My father's aunt, my great aunt, she prayed for her two brothers for 40 years and they both became Christians. One three months before he died, and the other one, my grandfather, a week before he died. So I'm just saying that, keep on praying. Keep on praying. But joy to the world, the Lord has come, but earth doesn't always receive her king. You might have heard of Sir Chris Hoy, the British cyclist who won six Olympic gold medals. The, the, the Scots were so proud of him that they named a velodrome in his name. Well, Sir Chris Hoy turned up on the opening day of the Commonwealth Games in July 2014 at the velodrome bearing his name and he was refused entrance to the very stadium that bore his name. John 1, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. But to as many as received him, to, give, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. I, I, I must ask, because it could be that you enjoy coming to all nations. I must confess, I enjoy coming too. Uh, but it could be that you enjoy coming, you like the friendliness and the songs and all of that, but it could be that you have never once bowed your life to the Lord Jesus. It says in Romans 10 and 9, we used to sing a song years ago, it's a favorite verse of mine, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And it doesn't, when it means uh, confess with your mouth, it doesn't mean something just that you're saying and you don't. It means that because it comes from the heart and out it comes, that you bow to your life as Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he died, why he died, and now he's alive. 
So if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that he did everything in dying that God promised he would do, and now he's alive, you shall be saved. Here's a chance for this Christmas for you to experience a new birth as well. And But for those who have, what do they know? Well, security from this, this mighty God. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you read the end of Romans chapter 8, he lists all the terrible things. And he says, but nothing in all creation. As, he, as Paul has listed all the things that come to mind, the powers of this creation, but he said, none of them can separate us. Why is that? Well, the one who died ever lives to intercede for us. I, I have long thought that one of the absent truths uh, that is presented in the Christian church is what Jesus is doing now. It used to be um, a saying, Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ will come again. But, but they forget the, the, the bit where it says, what is he doing now? He is interceding for us before the throne of God, making sure that those that he died for stand and finish triumphant. So is he yours? Many years ago, I remember reading this. Someone said, if you're in trouble, dial mine, mine, mine. Isn't that good? If you're in trouble... Call on him. He is interceding for you. Ask this God to help you reveal him in a dark, broken world. You know, it always makes me laugh that you you occasionally watch the news and they've got that often thunderous, thunderous music. And they say there are lots of terrible things and then they have the cheek to say, Good evening. You know, um, it's a dark, broken, confused world. But this is what Paul says to Corinthians. We are the aroma of Christ. Have you ever walked into a kitchen when someone has taken something nice out of the oven? When someone has taken out a freshly baked loaf of bread? And you go, ah. Well, Paul is saying that where we go, that we should have that lovely scent of the Lord making a difference. Make a difference where you go, the way you speak, the way you react. A friend of mine, Margaret, went into a supermarket and the girl at the checkout, who we often ignore, said to her, I like it when you come in because you're always kind to me. And the Lord convicted me of this one day. You know, you're standing in the queue and someone in front of you, after loading all their shopping, then they decide that they've got to pay for this. So they start looking around for their wallet or their purse. You think, ah. Oh. And so finally when you come, you treat the person there with, without respect. God convicted me of that. And now... Whenever I go into the supermarket, I'll say to the person, are you having a good day? 
How long before you finish? And to see them brighten up. Now, this is just one example. What way can you make a difference like a freshly baked loaf of bread this week where you go? In that office, that school, that neighborhood, that really awkward so-and-so. Can you make a difference to, to them? And then remind yourselves regularly that you belong to one who is the mighty God. Paul was in problems in Acts 27 in a shipwreck and he told the sailors about God, whose I am and whom I serve. The culture says that you pay attention to who you are. The Bible says pay attention to whose you are. Feed yourself on this truth that you belong to a mighty God. Coming to finish now. This passage tells us who this mighty God is. But it doesn't answer the question what or why. And later in Isaiah chapter 53, it tells us what this mighty God experienced. And just to pick out before him, it says, His appearance was disfigured beyond that of any man. His form marred beyond human likeness. He had no beauty, nothing in appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrow. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our affirmities, carried our sorrows, stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon him. By his wounds we were healed. He was oppressed, afflicted, led as a lamb to the slaughter. So it goes through what this person, but why? Why? And he tells us this. He will see his offspring. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. You see, Jesus went through the cross because he could see the end result. As it says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And if I can make it in this way, Jesus on the cross, going through all that he experienced there the, the anger of the Father against sin, the weight of sin, its pollution. And it says there, for the joy that set before him, he could see a people. And as was mentioned, in the Far East, all the way through Africa, and then comes to Reading. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. A people, and here we are speaking to Reading, in all nations Reading, who one day would enjoy his presence and reign with him forever. And the Lord Jesus, if I can put this there reverently, he said, it's worth it. Praise God for you and for me. I look in the mirror and think, who's that so-and-so looking at me? And Jesus said, I've died for you. You're going to be mine so for us, a child is born. For us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and his name shall be called 
mighty God. And the hymn which has been described as the Christian's national anthem, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all, or that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. Join in the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. For us to enjoy that, we need to bow now. We need to sing now. We need to crown him now. May God so grant us the grace to respond and know him as King and Lord for the remaining days of our lives and to make a difference somewhere this week. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Can we just pray a moment and then... So, Father, we ask you at the beginning to help us with your word. We now offer it back to you that you would use the word, some part of it, to make a difference in our relationship with you and make a difference with this troubled broken, confused world, that we will be the aroma of Christ wherever we go. In his name, amen.